0: Loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma
1: It totally took place in the 90s though (laughs) Find all of these books and more adaptations on our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals
0: Start your next read from the movies we've covered Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today
1: I'm Pete Wright And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next
0: reel when the movie ends Our conversation begins Lords of Dogtown is over Here's our entry fee Now where's our trophies?
1: Judgment oh, oh. me, boys Now get out there and surf, you little going. Back to the boneyard for you, pal We surf and we skate every day With these, you can do the same hard turns that you do on your surfboard. Wow!
0: We're talking about Lords of Dogtown, Andy. Now I know you were a real skater boy with an eye, right? You were big on the skateboarding.
1: I was a B-O-Y-Z.
0: Yeah. You remember? Uh, do you remember when you when you learned to? <laughs> I'm creating. I'm creating an alternate universe. I'm creating a multiverse of madness where you. Uh, we're a big skateboarder
1: you know i had a skateboard as a kid Mm -hmm. um uh, my sister and i each had our own little skateboards i would say that they were probably the cheap kmart version of what a skateboard was called as far as like what these people were using it was a pretty terrible skateboard and really it was just one of those things that like we didn't know what skateboarding was and we would just kind of You know, ride it around the neighborhood, and that was pretty much it. I didn't know that there were tricks. I didn't know anything about skateboarding. I was clueless. (laughs) Nobody in my in my neighborhood was doing skateboarding. Like there was no like skateboarding thing until I don't know, probably junior high, high school. More people were doing stuff on skateboards, but like nobody when I was young was was doing any. Skating stuff, I guess it hadn't quite made it into the Middle America yet at that point, you know
0: i um I did do you know this about me I did not but i used to I used to skate um but I was not very good, I was not very good at all, and i you know and and i- remember, I'll never forget I taught Dave Atkinson how to ollie in my garage. And so I could do some things, but there is a, there's a line that is crossed at some point when you go from knowing how to skate to becoming a skateboarder, which is where you have adapted to the pain that comes from hitting the pavement. Yeah. And I never could. I remember I was at a, uh, I was skating, skating down my own street and I went up on a curb and I fell. And I hit the pavement and my board flipped up and landed on my ankles. Uh, and I, it hurt so bad that I limped back up the street to my house. And I think that, that might have been it. That might have been the end of my skateboarding career because I never, like, the way these guys in this movie fall is what I never did. Like, yeah. I couldn't, they just don't care uh, about hitting the ground. And, um, <laughs> And so, you know, I skateboarded through all through high school, but it was so it was so anemic and casual and ridiculous that I, you know, I never it never went beyond that.
1: I you know, had a little brother uh, with big brothers, big sisters, and he took me skateboarding and he would teach me like, this is how you do. uh, I can't remember. This is how you pop it up and do all these different things and and then Ollie and stuff like that. And then I took him to a skate park so he and his friend could skate around and he was trying to teach me how to drop in. (laughs) And that's where I like, because you really have to like lean into it as you're going down yes. to stay on the board. And I I kind of leaned back. because I'm like, I'm falling oh, down into right my hole from under and you. It went, Yeah. And I really, yeah, I, I pounded into the ground pretty hard. I'm just yeah. like, I don't know why I did that. And I will never do that again. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> that was the last time that yeah. I have tried. So I, you know what, but I appreciate the people who do. Um, but yeah, just like you, like watching the start of this film when we see um who do we see first? Is it Tony who's heading down the the empty street and he's timing the street light? Yeah. And he's he's I mean, he looks great. He's on that empty street, he's he's shooting down the road, waiting for the street light, it turns green, he crosses the road, and then his wheels hit the rocks and he goes and he spills and Off. rolls across the ground and stuff. And I'm just it like has, that's yeah. That's, that's what it. I don't like. That's what that's I don't A hundred percent. Yeah.
0: There is some, I mean, there is some crazy stuff going on in here. I mean, just in that opening sequence alone, like the way they skate up on trash. Like I was always such a chicken to like skate up on leaned up boards because I was like, what's under that board? It could be a person or it could be a trash can that's going to collapse. And and so that that is peak, peak anxiety
1: in this skateboard movie. But it's it, what's what's interesting about the film, and this it's an interesting biopic because I mean this is a story about Dogtown, which I was like, I wonder where Dogtown is. Just as they're like, well, where's Dogtown? And they're actually talking. I'm like, that was weird <laughs> that I was just saying that, and then they're talking about it. it's actually um, uh, in the southwest corner of Santa Monica. It's in the Ocean Park neighborhood uh, between that and the northern part of Venice, and that's that's what they uh nicknamed Dogtown, and at the time obviously it was a little more rundown than it is now um but uh, you know it, it's a biopic of these skaters who are riding these junky skateboards who all of a sudden you know learn to ride a lot better because they get these fantastic new uh urethane wheels which actually help grip and everything and it's just it's it's kind of cool to see like the rise of skateboarding as it becomes especially once you know this drought hits la and they all start um you know skating in these empty pools um so it was it was a neat kind of story to kind of see it happen it is fairly standard biopic territory though and so that's definitely something i think we're going to be talking about with this because we've got some pretty interesting characters in a story that eh, you know i don't know how strong it is but you know especially uh, you know there's a documentary out there that gets a lot of attention um, dogtown and z boys that most people say i i didn't have a chance to watch it but most people say it's far superior to this particular film did you see that one no, i haven't seen that one.
0: I'm interested to see it now, having watched this one, um, uh, mostly because I in watching just some of the behind the scenes footage just how well they capture in casting our trio of uh, Alva, Peralta, and adams um, the The casting of these three guys as our kind of protagonist trio, I think is really interesting and uh, spot on
1: yeah yeah it's very it's a very interesting. Uh, casting and all across the board. I mean, it was really good casting. I thought it was kind of surprising how yeah. how strong the cast was. So, well, should we uh, should we start digging into this one?
0: Yeah, I want all right.
1: to. Bad. All right. Well, this film was rated PG-13 upon its release in 2005, and it's largely just because there's so there's some you know implied sex, some nudity, some uh, you know profanity, smoking, stuff like that. A lot of injuries, a lot of, a lot of falling, <laughs> so falling. Falling so on the ground.
0: Falling. It, yeah, it's rated R for falling.
1: PG no, 13 right. falls. It's just PG 13 falls. for falling. Yeah. Yes. Want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, you can. If you see an Apple or an Amazon link to the movie in the show notes, and this holds true for any of our shows, just click on it. It will take you right to their site. You can rent. Or buy the movie And when you do this We get a little piece in return
0: And you can check out our merch At truestory.fm Slash merch I'm thinking this one is just like uh, It's not even directly from the movie But maybe it's just a close-up On an arm with a cast on it And a skateboard dra- drawn on it Because even though That's not in the movie That's how I feel most of the time <laughs> I'm just gonna wear that That'll be our Dogtown thing There it is uh, You can get shirts and stickers And mugs and masks And pillows and more with everything we've come up with, get it while you can. I just, I just wore my we sees what we sense what's eels shirt sure, yesterday. Sure you did. I sure did.
1: I sure, did. sure you did. Uh, we are featuring audio reviews from you, our dear listeners. Just send us your audio file to reviews at TrueStory.fm once you watch the movie, and we just might end up showcasing your voice on the show. Gotta get them in quick. We do record about two weeks in advance, so record it. Send it to us at reviews at truestory.fm.
0: At some point, we have to come to terms with the fact that we have a couple that are for months out in the future and none for any of the movies we're talking about. <laughs> When's the last time we had one? I don't send them in. Send in your reviews. We want to hear from uh, hear your reviews. Uh, and if you're wondering where you can see what movies we're talking about in the coming weeks for the rest of the season, you can find the entire series rundown on our Letterboxd HQ page. That's letterboxd.com slash reel and uh, if you fall in love with Letterbox while you're there, you can sign up for a pro or patron membership with the discount code NEXTREEL. Or you can just visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd and you'll get 20% off. Uh, it works for renewals
1: as well. Just like Letterboxd has their membership, we do as well. Uh, we're on uh, Patreon's memberful platform, which is built right into our website. And if you subscribe to become a member, you get all sorts of benefits uh, you get your episodes early before everybody else you get a monthly member bonus episode you get a flick chart re-ranking episode and we at the end of each series we do a new episode called the retake where we walk through all of the information that we learned from over the course of that particular series just go to truestory.fm slash tnr membership and you can learn more about the membership tiers the most it'll cost you is five dollars a month or $55 a year.
0: All right, Andy, lords of Dogtown, opening question, big question, Emil Hirsch, hair or no hair?
1: <laughs> um, hair. <laughs> he, he seriously ha- carries the skinhead look really well when he's no hair. Too well. Yes, too, all too well. Too
0: well. <laughs> yeah, uh, he really does. He is uh, one of our protagonist uh, characters. He plays Jay Adams. Um, John Robinson plays Stacy Peralta, and Victor Rasuk plays Tony Alva. Not to be uh, left out, Heath Ledger and his teeth play Skip Engblom. And those, the, and again, there are a lot of other, there's a big cast. I mean, there are a lot of folks. In well, here. I
1: think Michael Angerano is pretty important as Sid. He would be the other one that I would.
0: As Sid, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, this was an early one for Nikki Reed as, as uh, Kathy Alva and Rebecca Namornais. <laughs> as, as I guess it's, is it, was it Stacy's mom? Uh, no, she's
1: Jay's mom. Or is it Jay's, mom. Jay's, yeah. Jay's mom? She's Jay's mom.
0: I was, as I was saying it, I was really hoping it was Stacy's mom because she's
1: got it going on. You just wanted to say that, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I did. I did. That was the whole thing. That was the whole reason. Uh, huh, 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 huh. It's just sometimes the sometimes the the plays on words they just come to me like that okay uh so what'd you think um what'd you think of, of the movie overall it's an interesting one because it's got a it's a 55 uh, percent on rotten tomatoes it's a splat is it a splat
1: for you um it's a 7.1 over on imdb it's it's a film that um got a, a lot of mixed reviews upon its release and uh And I think it's because, you know, for the reasons that I feel, you know, it's kind of fair to middling as far as a biopic is concerned, but it has really gained traction in recent years. A lot of cult uh, following, a lot of people in the skateboarding community say it's one of the best skateboarding movies ever. And so it's, I I think there are elements to it that work quite well. I, 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 you know, I, I really enjoy the characters. I enjoy the world. I enjoy looking at these kind of Kids all kind of from broken homes who are, uh, I mean, not all broken, but, you know, they're, they're homes that they're, they're they're struggling and trying to figure out, you know, what are they going to do with their lives? And, you know, the one thing that they really have is surfing. And um, and that kind of turns into this skateboarding thing. And then it's really, a, you know, it's such a standard biopic thing that you see so often in like, um, you know, musician biopics where... They get famous and the rise to fame and the, uh, the the paths they take that take them down, you know, uh, dark paths where they have to learn hard lessons only to come back together at the end. It's that sort of story. And to that end, I think that's why a lot of people found it to be fairly um, uh, kind of maybe too straightforward, especially just a couple years after the documentary had come out they found that it was, you know, it's, it's fairly for a film about some pretty um, wild uh, troublemaking characters. It ends up feeling pretty safe.
0: It does. It does end up feeling safe. I think that's interesting. It took me a long time to get into the movie, right? Like I started it up and I was, I was just struggling because it felt like, oh, hooligans, you know, destroying trash cans and ripping mirrors off of cars as they skate down the down the street, I didn't. I didn't find anything necessarily compelling about that brand of rebellion. It wasn't until the movie transitions into uh, the the sort of derivation of modern skating, right? It was the drought in California for me that that turned the picture around. That was, yeah, yeah. Oh, right this that's the first bowl skate right that was it and i i hadn't made that connection before and so uh, that's when i i really found i started paying attention like watching how they uh, they you know jumped in and out of backyards looking for empty pools and the infrastructure around it right the lookouts and the the binoculars and the you know trying to scope out all the empty pools and the uh, you know that uh, culture that that came up around that particular activity and that these were the guys who discovered it, I thought was, was really interesting that that's engaged me in their story really, I think for the first time um, watching the movie.
1: I think I got into it a little earlier than you did. Like I, I like right out of the gate, I found the characters pretty interesting um, just kind of watching them, uh, they seemed so cool. Like you, you see these guys who, I mean, they're they're troublemakers. You're right, they're hooligans. They're doing all this stuff, but there was something about kind of their personalities that I found really interesting. And what I loved about their introduction is you you see these guys. They're skating. They seem cool. They're they're heading down to the beach so they can go surfing. And they get to the beach and they're immediately told off. They're not allowed to get into the water. They have to do all these like chores and cleanup and stuff because the real surfers won't let them surf. Until They've done their work and like put in their time, and the real surfers are done. I, I was like, "Well, that was an interesting shift, yeah." That I wasn't expecting. Like when Skip and all of his guys are like, "Nope, sorry, you are not good enough yet. You are not ready. Get back to cleaning." Yeah, the- we're worse thugs than you. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it was. There is always a bigger fish.
1: Exactly. It was a fun way to kind of set those characters up, where you had that the rank that they had to you know work up toward getting into those higher ranks, and then what is how they became like the higher ranked people in the world of skateboarding because they're the ones who really started doing it first and uh, that was interesting to me like watching them kind of rise up and especially especially when we first go to that competition and you see what is considered like um skateboarding at that time like the different tricks that people were doing that were just you know very kind of almost like circus tricks you know it's like oh i'm going to stand on my hands on the board and yeah. i'm going to do this like it was it was very um rudimentary and and so there was an edge like these characters had an edge and they brought that edge to this world and that i thought was pretty interesting
0: i did too i thought that was an, that was actually you're right that was an excellent sequence because <laughs> they do all these like low 360s and it, it, these tricks end with them essentially just falling like, they just slide down <laughs> into the prone position on the ground, and they're like, well, I don't know how we're going to point give them points for that, but okay, here's a seven, eight, six, <laughs> eight. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Um, there, There's something about, you know, a- a- about those moves, and the fact that you could see, like, what that sequence was trying to do was demonstrate they're going to actively change the face of skateboarding, and it starts right here right it starts right here where they're going to test uh the bounds and i thought that was interesting if it didn't sort of wear its intentions so heavily on its sleeves like uh, the the fact that i knew going into that sequence and those first couple of tricks that that's what they were trying to do um left me enjoying it but not surprised
1: yeah it's and i suppose to that end like i i wonder what they like what how could this have been shaped to Draw it into something that didn't necessarily feel like just a biopic. And it's interesting coming from Catherine Hardwick, which I mean, we talked about Catherine Hardwick back in our coming of age debuts series as she had done 13. And this is her follow up film. She did the, did this a couple years after 13. And 13 had this, this intense energy that felt very youthful. I think she carried a lot of that energy over into this film to kind of keep that, that vibe going along. But something else is missing. And that's what I'm not sure. Like, what could she have done? Was it the writing? Was it the fact that, um, you know, kind of, I mean, you get this perspective that we're not getting the full story because this is written by Stacy Peralta, yeah. who's the, the one of our characters that we're following. So are we getting kind of a glossed over sheen to their story that isn't allowing stuff to be told? I mean, you heard the same thing with Bohemian Rhapsody um, and a lot of these biopics that they're playing it safe and they're they're always going to be putting their characters up on a pedestal because it's coming from those characters.
0: Yeah that I it was exactly my thought and uh, going into it I didn't know uh that uh, like I didn't know Stacey Peralty had written it until uh, after I I'd, I'd watched the movie and that recontextualized a lot of of the experience of the movie it does end up feeling like a a more careful dance around these real people, and the fact that all of these people are involved in the movie in some way, shape, or form, right? Yeah. Jay and Tony are are cameos in the film. Um, I along all with of them were. you know, t- all of them were obviously. Stacy was a cameo in there too. Tony Hawk was uh, was in it, and Lance <laughs> Mountain. Oh, <weirdness>. and- <laughs> That was, yeah. <clears throat> that was a very strange cameo
1: as an yeah. astronaut. Skip, Skip was in there. Um,
0: uh, Skip was in there. Yes, absolutely. So there were just a lot of like it. It felt like a, a like there is a club of people who are trying to make a movie without poking too uh, too aggressively at old pain. And that ends up coming across on screen. I thought it was an interesting story as a novelty uh, of the history. And insofar as it, you know, as it might get that right, and I'm not a student of that history by any stretch, but um, but insofar as it got that right, I was I was satisfied with the experience of the movie and I liked the characters. Um, but I, I think you get to um, you know you get to where the movie starts to fall apart when it moves away from that history when you move into the the more interpersonal relationships the struggles between skip figuring out what is skip doing in here right like what how where at to what degree am i supposed to care about Heath Ledger and his business, because it seems peppered in here, but mostly the story is, um, you know, is all about these boys and the birth of modern skateboarding. Uh, what's going on with Nikki Reed's uh, role? Like, and, uh, you know, and their role with their parents. Like, I'm, I'm just never, with their dad in particular, I'm never quite sure how hard I'm supposed to care about the budding teen romance angle that's going on here. It seems like such such a story relegated to sidelines um you know every time it comes around um and so i i never i never really get it
1: well it's funny that you bring up skip in that light because i found his character to be almost in the end more interesting than any of the other three because there was this real complexity to him as this person who you know, seemed to want to have that level of fame, but never could quite figure it out, and and was just writing their coattails in whatever way he could. But in the end, he's just kind of sitting amongst the ruins, just like Jay, and just like you know, he's he had, it felt like a lost character. So I was really fascinated by him as a character.
0: Well, that's interesting. Can I can I comment on that point? Yeah, though? Yeah. yeah. I think his what is interesting about his character is the finale of his arc right that he comes back to singing maggie in the uh, in the back of the store actually working for in the same in his old store rebuilt and now owned by some conglomerate and and, you know he's drinking but i couldn't help put the headcanon in that's like oh okay finally this is where he belongs right (laughs) this is this is like home yeah, for yeah. him. He, he, he wasn't ever meant to start a business and he ran into, he started a business with all the wrong people, right? Eldon Hansen, his whole thing with like, Oh, this was the point of business, surf when we want work when we want, right? Bye. Yeah. Leaving him alone with these orders was like, he just wasn't built to handle that infrastructure. So I, to, to that point, I absolutely agree with you. That's when things got interesting for him and. The fact that he found a place at the end, I do think was satisfying.
1: It's satisfying, but it's also sad because it's like he had so much potential like he had. Yeah, he could have done something, but he just seemed to somehow squander it all away. Like, you know, they're like, you know, sharing the profits and all this stuff. You should be sharing the profits with these guys who are making all this money. And he's just like, what profits? Like, yeah. and, and I was like, is he being serious? Does he not? Is it, has he? Is he saving it away and hiding it and not telling people? Or is somehow he just not responsible enough and has no idea where all the money has gone that he's been making on these things? Or is it just all going back into the business? Like, I just had no idea what was really happening with him. But I think that was what was fascinating about him, because I'm not sure if we were supposed to know, because he is this mess. And that's why I think, to your point, yeah, he fits in. He found a pl- a place at the end. I think he will always carry that sense of kind of, uh, you know, uh, sadness and disappointment about the fact that this is where he is. And I think that's why he's drinking right there while he's doing the stuff. But his mood is certainly better. Well, yeah, I think he's just kind of kind of roll along and just do what has to be done now. And it's but you it know, kind you of have, I
0: mean, you have a great point, like because this that that is really interesting. And I think where more specifically where my trouble is with his character is in the beginning after he forms the team, they go to their first meet, and there's this long stretch where they don't involve him, they don't involve Skip because they're out skating pools. Yeah, and I remember having this thought, like wouldn't skip want to like wouldn't skip be involved somehow in this part of the middle of the movie like he's just gone for a long time and i missed him and i felt like he was he was like a a non crucial character and i don't understand why because what it it felt like he would have a reaction to what they were doing and we get a reaction eventually when they're eating a burger and he comes and wipes out the the the, wipes the burgers all over, all over Alba's face. He <laughs> yeah, got patty slapped. Uh, he got patty slapped. But I, I just felt like that part of his story was just anemic. And I, I, he didn't get interesting until we got back to the end.
1: Well, and that happened fairly early on the patty slap, because that's like when they first discover this stuff. And then he confronts them when they're at the, at the uh, burger shop because they missed practice. They were supposed to be a practice. And he came up like, where have you guys been? You know, you missed the, all this. And yeah. And so he's confronting them and that was, yeah, I was a little confused about that too. And that's something that I felt like maybe could have been, you know, explored better. It's like, why aren't they telling him this? Are they, are they trying to keep this away from him or are they just not thinking about it? Uh, like, you know, where's the, where's the logic in the way that that element of the story played? Um, yeah. You know, because he's, then, then they're going to competitions and they're using this stuff that, that, you know, they're learning. On the pools. And at some point, he's also there watching them on the pools. And so it's like, where where did that line go? And and like, why did that not get explored in a way that made more cohesive sense for the story?
0: Yeah, I, I guess that's I, I that sums it up for me. Yeah, that that sums it up.
1: Yeah, that's and I I do agree. That's an issue with the story. I still think Skip is a very interesting character. And maybe it's just because I find Ledger a very uh, mesmerizing actor to watch work. I I was just going to say, yeah,
0: like the 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 value of watching this movie with our Heath Ledger hindsight is uh, that, you know, it is he's still such a compelling performer. Here, even in his sort of pre-joker <laughs> days. Uh, but you can you can actually I, I felt like easily chart the course between what he's able to do in a part like this and that sort of weird vibe that he's able to conjure um and and see where he ultimately goes. Um, I thought it was
1: great. I think his um for me, the scene that really shined for him is when He's having the big celebration at uh, at Zephyr, and um, this that's where uh, Topper Burks, <laughs> Johnny Knoxville, in his uh, odd little cameo, looking like just a, you know basically a skateboard pimp, is kind of what he is, mm-hmm. who's who's mm-hmm. trying to draw them away from uh, from Skip, and is kind of you know spinning his his web. And and pulling Tony away, and, and that was a very interesting scene because that's where Skip kind of like fight, you know breaks, and he, you know, is is drinking too much, goes on the roof and starts throwing the um all the the surfboards off the roof, and just lays there. And I I I don't know the way that he broke, the way that that played, I found to be quite compelling.
0: Yeah, I thought that was great.
1: Now going back to your your um comments about Nikki Reed playing Tony's sister Kathy. I completely agree with you there. I was, uh, and again, I think a lot of this must come from the fact that Stacy Peralta wrote the script. He had been uh, dating Kathy. At least the way that the film portrays it. And never quite, like, there was something with Kathy that I couldn't figure out. Like, is she trying to one up her brother? Like, why is she pushing this in a situation where she wants to be? I mean, she basically was trying to push Stacy to lay on the grass with her in front of their house where Tony could see them and, like, be making out in the grass. And he's just like, I'm not into that. That's just, you know, I I just wanted to go hang out with you in the car. But for her, it's like, is it like, what was she trying to prove to her brother? I couldn't quite figure that out. And then that's when Jay hops down and ends up kind of taking over and, 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 and gets into Kathy's life and the two of them end up a thing. And Stacy um, doesn't find out until much later, but I never could quite figure out like what was going on with Kathy. Like what's is, is the angle for Kathy's character really only because it's, we're coming at it from Stacy's perspective. Like what were your thoughts on that? Cause it, I'm I'm equally compl- confused.
0: I I don't know, and I think it's it's regrettable because I do feel like the movie is made better with some sort of emotional, like romantic, um, you know, e- exploration. Um, and so her like her entire um, perspective is is uh, you know it it's I feel like the movie needed a straighter line for her, right? It needed a straighter uh, arc for her and I don't I don't think it it was with um with Stacy in the first place and I think they were going for my hunch is they were going for that um they needed her and Stacy to be together in order to have the sort of requiem to that at the end where Stacy gets to introduce his girlfriend and she's with somebody else you know and they have to be kind of okay but I didn't care about that at all because there just wasn't enough relationship for them earlier i guess that does that make sense
1: Uh, yeah i guess i mean it's just it's an interest there are interesting psychological elements to her character that we get some of in the film it's just it's not explored in a way where it ever feels uh kind of resolved or um even even like thematically as far as like What's going on with the the kind of the the three guys we're primarily following? It's like where do we end with Nikki? It just kind of, I I wish that it kind of took us to somewhere other than because I mean, is the last time we see her, it's when it's when Stacy runs into Jay with his girlfriend at that place that you're just talking about. Uh, where yeah. this is right. where he finds where Stacy finds out that Jay has shaved his head and all that, and they're all like hanging out with a much rougher crowd.
0: Yeah, and she's totally I don't know what she's wearing, but it's not the same. No.
1: So she she seems to have gone down the same path as Jay. Yep, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. I uh, it was it was so, an odd. Yeah. It was an odd path. So was she not wait, was she
0: not at the final big competition where Jay gets in a big fight or where um uh, what's his name gets in a fight and breaks his eye?
1: Um she was there, but that was before that scene. Okay. Because right. cause that's where Jay um, does that move that nobody had seen before, but then he falls on his landing and walks out, yeah. and then he goes immediately and shaves his head. And goes and becomes a... Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you're right. That's where... That's the last time we see her.
1: Yeah. Another interesting character was Jay's mom, and that's uh, the one that Rebecca de Mornay plays. And... That's another one that I was like, I, I, I feel like this movie did a good job of setting up really interesting and complex relationships and characters that never ended, ended up going anywhere. Like, she was such an interesting character. She had this relationship with William Mapother, who is playing Donnie, and he leaves because, as he tells Jay, he's like, your mom's crazy. You know, which Yeah. I, kind of, right. I love that. I love that scene. And the way that Jay, Emile Hirsch, plays that, like it was just perfect. You know, um, Donnie leaves him a skateboard and and walks out and Jay just kind of knocks it over and then later like stabs it and kind of destroys it. But his relationship with his mom is so fascinating. And he's in this because he wants to help his mom. He wants to get, out or get her out of this life where she's working on this this factory line putting lamps together. It's just a kind of a miserable existence that she has. And then it's kind of left like it, it. She disappears from the story, and it's like, where's the resolution? Do we not have resolution? Because in reality, Jay never ended up taking care of his mom. Then show us something. But it's like her character was so interesting. And Catherine Hardwick did such interesting things, I thought, with the mom characters in 13. I was really hoping that we would get more from Rebecca de Mornay because the few scenes we had, I'm like, okay, there's something going on that's really interesting with the way that de Mornay is playing this character. She's like this weather worn, like tanned too much sort of mom who is lost and can't get her life together and then she's left and uh, by the wayside and it was just a disappointment. Yes, it was a
0: disappointment especially because I I I think Rebecca de Mornay has so much more range than what we have here. I think the the bigger issue for her that I have is with just the way she is placed in his life is that first every scene where they're on screen together, Camille Hirsch and Rebecca de Mornay Feels like they're improv, like it feels like an undirected emotional exercise. And I didn't, I didn't care for that. It, it just felt, uh, it, it felt unmetered uh, and <laughs> I guess just not very good. Uh, but it really comes in when we don't like, she seems to be so disconnected and from him and everything he's doing until she
1: somehow knows a TV like agent. It's like a friend of her uncle's or something is what it was, right?
0: Yeah. What like how is she suddenly how is this deadbeat mom suddenly connected to this agent who now, um you know, is able to come and ask Jay to sell Slinkies like that felt so out of the blue, so unearned to me like it narratively that I I did not believe it. I didn't. I didn't believe any of that happened, and I'm sure it probably happened, right? I, 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 have no reason to doubt that they made up the slinky
1: thing. No, no, no reason to believe that they made up the slinky thing,
0: right? I have no. Is that what I
1: said? You said doubt, which completely contradicts what you just said. Yes, yes. It,
0: all of those things are are uh, true in the multiverse of madness. So, <laughs> I, but I do think that the way they portrayed it gives me reason to doubt that it existed. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just was comical. Like, what are we doing? Why are you making him sing
1: the Slinky? Like, that's just ridiculous. My my issue with that scene, uh, which I, I think is interesting, and it speaks to the fact, again, that they just didn't know how to write that story with, uh, with Jay and his mom, is that I felt like, she now started seeing her son as a potential cash cow for herself right and so she found she knew that her her um brother his uncle knew this movie guy and knew that she could use her son's name to get something and somehow got in touch with this guy like i i can see this coming together or maybe her brother maybe her brother said hey my friend um you know does this he wants to you know he, he's looking for somebody, Jay would be perfect. I can see all of that coming together in a way to kind of do this. And that would have made for a really interesting scene where Jay realizes that his mom, like he he can try helping his mom, but she's she is broken and she's now trying to use him just like so many other people. And that would be kind of the line that cl- cuts him off from his mom. But we never get but that. We never see it. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's what's really yeah. frustrating with the way that that whole thing comes across.
0: That That was it. That was it for me, too. Really frustrating. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, Okay. Uh, now, I, I want to talk just briefly about the, the trio themselves and their ultimate breakup, because this leads to the weight of their reconciliation, their poolside reconciliation with Sid at the end. Um, and that is, do you buy the way Tony dissolves from the rest of the group, even early on? The way, Do you buy his emotional anchoring away from the trio and his competitive spirit that leads him away from his
1: friends i do enough i think that there are elements that the story um gives us that that show us that they each have their own kind of ulterior motive and where they want to go is it um, as effective as it could be? No. I think that it could have been cleaner. There are points where it just feels like it's just written that way because we need to have them each taking a different journey. And, you know, that's kind of where it kind of starts feeling a little, um, you know, it's not quite as strong. Like, I, I think I felt that when um, the one, I'm going to forget who it was, but one of the other competitors, the one who Stacy ends up signing with, like G and... GNS, GNS. the guy from GNS talks to Tony about, hey, you know, you're going to you're the top guy right now or whatever. He has that whole conversation with Tony, who's feeling great, only to find out that the guy had the exact same conversation with Jay and with Stacy. That was interesting. Like that, like seeing Tony get his hopes up like, wow, I am that great. I could get a car out of this. I could get all this stuff. Only to realize that, oh, I'm not any more special than anyone here. It's just a sales pitch. But how did that turn into, you know, the guy who wants everything now? And so there could have been a little more work done to kind of, you know, give us that split so that we could really, really buy into it more.
0: I think so, too. And I think the the problem with not having more investment in why these guys broke apart is that and and I kind of get it from Emil. I think uh, Jay's Emil's portrayal of Jay is is stronger in that regard. That he is he is more severely broken, and you know I, he turns to, I guess, that gang life yo, and um, so you know I I guess I I get his turn. I get what they were trying to do, but I definitely don't feel like Alva gets gets his due in in determining what the emotional underpinning is that that allows him to become alienated from the three and you know you mentioned uh sid when it's actually a brain tumor he couldn't skate anyway um yeah. you know which was yeah, that,
1: <laughs> which was that the inner kind ear of a right? joke
0: yeah because yeah, of the inner ear thing he kept falling down but the um you know when they come together and he's had his first brain surgery and sadly he is he since passed um from the the tumor um and they put him in the pool and you have this this like the weight of of reconciliation as they're all skating around him and and doing their tricks finally in the perfect kidney shaped pool that they've wanted to be a part of the whole time you know and that was that was going to be so special for them. And and I just didn't feel, apart from the novelty, I just didn't really f- feel a connection to that reconciliation. I didn't feel like they had come back together at the end of the movie having learned anything um, about their experience wandering mm-hmm. apart.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's... Oh, oh I, I guess what I liked about that is that they were able to finally let go of whatever it was that had been kind of keeping them from um connecting like they they were able to kind of let that go and and you know move past it again it's one of those things that just feels very um it it ends up feeling very scripted and that's you know that's why i say it's just it just feels very biopic you know it just it feels very very um, expected, Like, well, we got to have the rise, and then we got to have the fall, and then we got to have the reconciliation. Like, it's hitting all the beats that we get time and time again in this sort of thing. And coming from, you know, Stacy Peralta, again, what we were saying, one of the characters who's involved in the story wrote the story. It's about them. And so it's going to feel safer because uh we're not seeing it from that outside perspective and that which is funny because that being said you know Peralta also directed the documentary Dogtown and Z-Boys yeah and so to that end um obviously you know was able to maybe tell a better story when it's just a documentary um and uh whereas here fictionalizing it um ends up coming across a little a little stilted and I, who knows maybe that's also partly hardwick's direction it would have been interesting uh, if david fincher had ended up directing it he had been attached at one point interestingly fred durst from limp, limp biscuit had actually been attached at some point too um he actually has directed some other films but this would have been his first um but somehow it was hardwick who got the job um I don't know. I'd be curious to see if Fincher would have been able to pull something off that was stronger, even if it was still coming from Peralta's script.
0: Uh, Peralta, we've actually talked about another uh, movie that Peralta has been in. Yes. Do you know that without looking at it?
1: I already had uh, seen that he was in Real Genius, if that's the one you're talking about.
0: Damn, Andy. (laughs) Uh, He uh, actually delivered the deadly laser blast. To an unsuspecting criminal in the opening
1: scene, that was Stacy Peralta. Yeah, who uh, had uh, was not unknown to acting, as he had uh, also appeared in an episode of Charlie's Angels. Right, uh, that was funny because
0: that's what we we did get that in the yes, <laughs> in very, the movie. Yeah. We got some some Charlie's Angels. Yeah, uh, oh, I'm seeing his hair. He does have luxurious
1: hair. <laughs> that's very funny. Um, very funny. So. Uh, John Robinson plays him. Uh, we talked about um, the actors a little bit. Emil Hirsch is just—I mean—he's great in pretty much everything. All of them fairly early in their careers. Emil Hirsch had been around for a, a few years, but you know, I think that he does a great job here as this as this skater. Um, I, and he there's a complexity to his character that I think you get here that you would see really come through and shine when you get to into the wild, which he does. Yeah, um, you know right a couple years after this and uh, like i found his his performance in that film so um so strong but like looking at this you can really see this is a guy who is able to tap into something um uh, darker and I, i i find him to be a very compelling actor
0: i i actually do too the first time i saw him was the girl next door uh, in 2004 and um, i that is a i think it's a guilty pleasure is it i don't i don't actually know how well that's aged but um i i think it's a guilty pleasure of mine you're not saying anything which makes me think you don't you don't love the movie like i do
1: i've never seen it i i i what? didn't want what? to I, I it just looked
0: oh dear well when are we doing our next Guilty Pleasure series?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I first saw him in The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys, um, which is an interesting film because I always think about <laughs> the end of one of the children. I'm not going to say what happens, but I was just like, oh, I guess that's happening in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a crazy huh, one. That's
0: awful. OK, good talk, though. Did you see that Um no don't know what you're
1: talking they about they go into a i'll just they go it, they go into a cougar um pe- like a pen or whatever at the zoo like they they give oh my god a a cougar drugs in in the zoo and i can't remember why like they're going to go take pictures with it or something it's like some practical joke that they're doing and they don't realize that there's like a third cougar in the in the cage that comes out and mauls a child that's the end of that. Wow!
0: Is that, it's like the sequel to that hit kids book? If you give a moose a muffin, <laughs> if you give a give a
1: cougar a kid, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Okay. So Great. that's so that's where I started good. my uh <laughs> Emil Hirsch Hirschathon. Well, I
0: I uh, I didn't, and so uh, that's that. Who? Yeah. So uh, who else? Uh, I don't even know where where the rails are. Uh, oh, John, uh, John Robinson. John Robinson. John Robinson.
1: I only think of him um, first from Elephant, which is where he kind of got his start, which is a punch-in-the-gut film. And then Transformers is the second place that I think of him. And um, we've talked about Windy and Lucy. He pops up there. And then it's now going to be this because this seems so in line for what he does. I mean, he's been very busy, but those are the only things of his I've seen. Yeah, And Victor Rasik, who plays Tony, he's another person who's very busy. He's done some TV stuff. Like, he did all the How to Make It in America uh, he did Stalker. Um he's in Jack Ryan, uh or he pop, uh, pops up periodically in Jack Ryan. Um but uh like uh he did all the Fifty Shades films. Like he's one of those yep. people who just keeps very busy and and I uh, definitely enjoyed him here. He was I thought he was I, I thought all of them were perfectly cast, even if I struggled with the story a little bit.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. What'd you think of the look of the film? Um uh what's his name? Elliot
1: um cinematography we've talked about him before um elliot davis yeah i i liked it i i thought um it had a nice tone to it It, like it it felt fine i'm trying to think what we talked well 13 about that eight million ways to die eight million ways to die is uh yeah your favorite and your 13 13 yeah so um a few things um i i and he would go on to work with hardwick um, through a number of other things like Nativity Story, Twilight, Miss You Already, so they've they've worked a lot together. You know, it looked fine. I, I thought that everything felt nice. I loved the way that they played with the cameras. Like I, I'm guessing it was on some sort of a rig, like a skateboard, where they were following the the skateboarders as they were riding around uh, with some great wide angle shots, like some you know real fisheye lens sorts of things. A lot of fun stuff that they they came up with, and that's what I love when Hardwick is kind of making her films, they they end up having that life to them that just fit the tone. And I, I really liked that here.
0: Yeah, I do too. And I like the use of color. I like the way the color tone shifts. The whole thing feels to me like a motion Polaroid of the era, right? It really captured for to my eye in in color and tone the the feel of Dogtown in, in in a way that I think is is really great. Um, I I enjoyed just the experience <laughs> in in my eye holes, uh, even if I again didn't didn't love love the movie. I think this is this is one of those that that just feels really easy to watch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they make it easy. Uh, The only other notes that I had is, weirdly, this was the first and only production, apparently, that Columbia Pictures and Tristar, both under the Sony banner, actually made together. And there are times where you see Columbia slash Tristar, but this was when we see Columbia and then you see Tristar TriStar. as two separate things. (laughs) So I'm not exactly sure why that is, but apparently it was a thing. And the other note I had was that Victor Rasik playing Tony, he actually was doing he wanted to do as many of his own stunts as he could. Um, but you know, he didn't know all the, the skateboard stuff. So, I mean, obviously they're going to have people who know all the tricks to do like the real intense stuff, but he was doing some stuff and he actually fell and got injured and he actually broke like one of his, what was it like an ocular bone or something like around his eye socket? Uh. An orbital bone. That's what it is. And um he said that the accident likely earned him more respect from serious skaters within the casting and crew. And I'm like, is that what yeah. it's gonna take? Ouch. Yeah. Sorry.
0: You know, I thought it was interesting when you look at the at the stunt uh the stunt team. I forgot to mention this. Like one of Tony's stunt doubles, skate doubles, was Tony Alva, which I think is really cool. Like he actually Tony Elva did his own did his own skates. Oh, I guess I guess Stacy did double uh for him and I don't know, did Jay? I don't think Jay did uh any stunt doubling. No, uh, and he, he was still did. alive.
1: I know I know Jay died 2014, but um Yeah. Yeah. I don't so, know.
0: So, uh, it really is a great and and that I will say, there wasn't a single uh shot, skateboard shot that didn't feel like it was the principal cast doing that work. Like it feels the stunt um, the stunt work was seamless to who these guys are. I thought it was just their their skate team was great.
1: Yeah, they, they were um, fantastic.
0: Yeah. And, and I have to imagine it must be hard making a movie about 70s skating when you have the skills and abilities of, uh, you know, 2000s skater. Um, because <laughs> right. they were doing things that, like, you really have to ratchet it down. Um, you know, the hero's stunts are now considered, like, complete, you know, amateur hour. Yeah, I was kidding. Cool.
1: It's interesting. Very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. We will be right back. But first, our credits.
0: The next reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Rex Banner, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and the numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, hey, please consider doing that for our show. All right, Andy, how to do it award season.
1: You know, uh, it wasn't big in the award circuit. It did have one win uh, with seven other nominations. The one win was uh, the Central Ohio Film Critics Association, if that tells you the sorts of awards it was getting (laughs) recognized for. Uh, That was for Actor of the Year, Heath Ledger. And that's because he had a very busy year. He had this, Brokeback Mountain, The Brothers Grimm, and Casanova all in in uh, 2005. So that's why the Central Ohio Film Critics Association felt they wanted to give him that. At the Golden Trailer Awards, the trailer was nominated for Best Drama, but lost to the trailer for Collateral. And at the Teen <laughs> Choice Awards, gotta love those teens, it was nominated for Choice Movie Action Adventure, but lost to Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Choice Movie Actor uh, in an Action Adventure Thriller. Heath Ledger, interestingly, was the one they nominated. Lost to Chad Michael Murray in House of Wax. Ah, those teens... The movie Sleaze Bag, uh, Johnny Knoxville was nominated but lost to Jennifer Coolidge in A Cinderella Story. Uh, Hirsch was nominated for Male Breakout Performance, as was Victor Rasik, but both lost to Ryan Gosling in The Notebook. And last but not least, it was nominated for a Choice Movie Rumble, and it was for when the Z Boys battled the diner owner, but that was lost to um, Pitt versus Joe Lee in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: I like the I like the trailer awards the best. I like this <laughs> <laughs> lost <laughs> collateral. That's funny.
1: Which it doesn't uh, seem like it would be a drama, you know. It's no it's it doesn't seem that like those where... should
0: ever be in the same conversation. Exactly. So. All right. How to do at the box office. Did you make any money?
1: Well, for Hardwick's follow-up to 13, she had a studio-sized budget for her period piece. She had $25 million, or $32.75 million in today's dollars. The film opened June 3, 2005, opposite only one other big new release, Ron Howard's Cinderella Man. Neither could break into the top slots held by Madagascar, The Longest Yard, and Star Wars Episode Three. This film started off in 7th place and never really found its audience at the time. Plus, you know, the reviews were a bit mixed. This film ended up earning $11.3 million domestically and $2.2 million internationally for a total gross of $17.6 million in today's dollars. That means Hardwick's film ended up with an adjusted loss per finished minute of $142,000.
0: I wonder what it would have been like if Fincher had ended up directing it after all.
1: I know. Makes you wonder.
0: Does make me wonder. Well, I'm glad we watched it. it. It's an interesting movie. It makes me nostalgic for a time in my own life that uh, in in which I gave up skateboarding because I'm a, a wimp. And um, <laughs> did I say nostalgic, horrified. That's what I meant to say.
1: It's. I mean, it, it, if anything, it really does make me want to watch that doc now. I'm, I'm very curious about Dogtown and Z Boys. Yeah, just to just to get another. Perspective on this world. But I, I am glad I saw this. You know, I, I am glad to kind of check another thing off Catherine Hardwick's list of films she's made and see another, uh, you know, strong performance by Ledger and all these people. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're here. Yeah, me too. All right. We'll be right back for our ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, Mira Nair's Netflix 2016 film, Queen of Kotwe. Mmm big things from such a small place don't think about such things why not you'd be disappointed hey fiona how is your life it is fine
0: (laughs) young girl come inside what is your name fiona could you please show Fiona how to move the pieces?
1: In chess, the small one can become the big one. You can say anything you want to say. Chess helps us solve problems. Me, but I'm gonna love
0: you anyway. It teaches us to make a plan. If you didn't have a wall to hide behind. Use your minds. But you fall to pieces when your eyes And you will all find safety.
1: Why are you letting her win? I'm not letting
0: her. You can see it moves ahead.
1: Checkmate. 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 She won.
0: You could be the best in all of Uganda.
1: Good. How can I become a champion?
0: Sometimes the place you are used to is not the place you belong. You belong where you believe you belong. Where is that for you?
1: Your sneaker attacks. This is not the ghetto.
0: I don't need to sneak. Checkmate. This year's gold medalist, Fiona Mute. Yes. Your children are blessed because they have a mother who never gave up on them.
1: Are you my daughter? Yes, Mama, yeah. You told us to make a plan, but I fear things will never change.
0: What matters is when you reset the pieces. She's
1: winning. She's winning. And play again. <laughs> Stronger than your bruises, I got thick skin. All right, Andy, how are you going to handle Letterboxed?
0: Where does that put you?
1: You know i am I'm torn, I feel like you know i I have issues with it. I feel like um it never quite completely gels, but I did find it interesting. I think I'm going to land at two and a half, but give it a heart
0: oh interesting yeah i you know i'm ideologically I can't give it a half star I know you can't, and that means. Uh, I have to give it. I, I, it is a middle of the road experience for me. I don't know that I'm going to watch it again. Um, I, I think I might have had enough. And in that regard, I think I'll go ahead and give it a three star, uh, no half stars, right? But I'm not going to give it a heart. Okay, I think that might be how I balance the force between us.
1: Interesting. Well, I, I think that we both kind of approached it similarly. So, yeah, uh, well, that lands yeah. at a two and three quarters uh, with a half a heart. So we'll end up over on Letterboxd giving it three stars with a heart is where it will end up landing. So there it sits. So what do you think about Lords of Dogtown? We would love to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel over in the Discord community, where we will be talking this week about the movie. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. <laughs> Letterbox giveth. As Letterboxd always doeth.
0: Oh, it so does. What do, what do you got? Where are you starting?
1: I'm doing a three-star by Lunch Enjoyer, who gave it a heart and had this to say, Where are their helmets? LOL, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I didn't
0: know we were both going for gags. Mine's a four-star by Ale. (laughs) And uh, Ale has this to say, Bro, this bro, that. Why don't you just kiss kitch- kiss each other? Then sometimes a movie just needs himbos and pretty people. Also, this might just go down as Heath Ledger's most underrated underrated performance. A long time <laughs> favorite. Four stars. Awesome. I, I, you know, I'm I i got to I I just love the word himbo, and I, I to anytime I see a review with himbo, I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> uh, perfect. Gotta love it. All right. Hey, thanks. Letterboxd.